And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, <laughs> when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's part two of a comedy episode of Blondie, starring Arthur Lake and Penny Singleton. Then, Martin Gable stars in Crime Does Not Pay from 1949. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Yeah, well, you know, last time we began listening to a very funny episode of Blondie. Unfortunately, there's very few Blondie radio shows that exist. There's maybe a handful of them, so enjoy this while you can. This is a half-hour episode going back to February 9, 1949. We listened to the first portion last time. Now the conclusion to Blondie. Gee, that's the second bus that's passed me up. I'll never get home if I don't get a ride from my... Hey, that looks like Miss Buff Orpington's big long limousine. Hey, Miss Buff Orpington! Oh. Hi, Mrs. Bob Warpington. Oh, Mr. Bobson, hello, hello there, dear boy. <laughs> well, how are you? I'm simply splendid now, but this morning I was terribly put out. Uh, you were put out? Uh, what happened? Uh, Rogers, my butler, lost his glasses, oh. and when I came down for breakfast, he threw me out of the house. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, he said he thought I was a third assistant floor mopper. Oh, <laughs> oh but tell me, dear boy, how are you? <laughs> Oh, I'm pretty good. Oh, you look very good to me. <laughs> so strong, so handsome, so Robert Taylor made. <laughs> See, thanks, and you look very barbarous and wicked yourself. <laughs> oh, dear boy, do you really mean it, or are you just saying that to be polite? No, I'm just saying it to be polite. <laughs> I was a fool to ask. Oh, incidentally, uh, Miss Buff Orpington, uh, happy Valentine's Day in advance. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. And a cute, cute, cupid to you, too. Cute, <laughs> cute. Oh, can I drop you anywhere? Yeah, just as long as it isn't on my head. <laughs> Are you through? <laughs> Hop, hop, right in and sit here, next to me. Oh, thank you. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> well, either this seat uh, keeps getting narrower, or one of us uh, is keeps getting wider. <laughs> what have you been having for dessert lately, Miss Buff Orpington, huh? 
Mr. Bumstead, mm. I've had the seat made narrower. Oh. It's uh, cozy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of crowded, too, isn't it? Yeah, but it's better than walking home. <laughs> yes. You know, my late husband, Mr. Bob Orpington, mm. the man who invented the chicken, you know, mm. <laughs> whenever he wanted to go somewhere, he always used to say, Drive on, Orson! <laughs> Yes, you wish well, Miss Buff Orpington, to drive me home. Boy, I wonder what Blondie's having for dinner. A good meal certainly makes all your little problems disappear like magic. Oh, oh, oh it's you, Cookie. Ha, ha, I scared you. Oh, I know. I knew you were hiding behind that tree all the time. Daddy, hmm. what's magic? Uh, magic? Well, it's, uh, well, magic is something that makes something happen that can't happen because if it did happen, it would be magic, see? <laughs> see, Cookie? Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. Yeah. Okay, Cookie, now you better put away your sled and then come on in for dinner. All right, Daddy. I'll be in as fast as I can. Blondie! I'm not home, Daddy. How do you like that? I work all day at the office and when I come home, Blondie isn't here. <laughs> Hey, what are you doing here? I thought you said that you were... Uh, oh, what am I saying? Oh, Jake, but I was just fooling. What's wrong with you? It, well, I don't know. I, I guess I'm worrying about Alexander and his little problem. I haven't been able to figure anything out, and a father ought to be able to help his son solve his problems. Well, don't you worry anymore. I have a wonderful solution, Dagwood. Oh, well, what is it, Blondie? You moved to another town, maybe? Oh, no, really. It's a good idea. Uh-oh, here's Alexander now. Hello, folks. Ask me how I feel. What? Oh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> Alexander, how do you feel? I feel awful. See, I expected a funny answer. No. <laughs> no, I don't feel that way. Sylvia practically told me that she expected me to send her a fancy white lace valentine. Mm. And Ginger told me the same thing later. Mm. And they were plenty firm about it, too. Oh, I'm a dead duck. <laughs> Alexander, I have an idea for you. Well, it probably won't help any. Gee, poor Alexander, always in trouble. Yeah. Well, come on, ask me what the idea is. Show a little interest. Okay, what's the idea? You send a valentine to every single girl in your grade in school. Holy smoke! Hey, Blondie, that's a sensational idea. Oh, I do a little thinking now and then. I like to toss off an occasional brainstorm. (laughs) (laughs) To every girl? Every single one. And if they happen to take a popularity poll among the girls tomorrow morning, I can promise you, you'd win. Now, what do you think of my idea? Well, it's pretty daring. <laughs> well, we bumsteads are very daring people. Look at me. I married your mother. Oh. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh I mean, Dagwood. Um, Look, Alexander, I've got the Valentines right here. Lots and lots of them. Okay, let's try it, Mom. But what about Sylvia and Ginger? Well, they'll get one like everybody else. Well, I feel like I'm putting my foot in a trap. Oh, you won't be. Well... Okay, let's start addressing the young blokes right after dinner. Right. Oh, gee. Boy, I'm beginning to get writer's cramp. Look at that pile of valentines I've addressed. Look at that. Me too. Same here. I'm so tired, I'm just signing mine. Alex Bum. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so tired, I'm just signing mine (laughs) A-Bum. Oh, my, what a name this is. Bertha Hooper Whistle, Jr., Oh, she's really a knockout, too. Mm. You better address it by her nickname. Oh, what's that? Well, we call her Sonia because she's such a good skate. Yeah, oh. <laughs> 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 hey, oh, oh, boy. Well, 
I just got one more. It's for Mary Sue Miller. Well, I'm sending my last Valentine to Joan Pingree. Mm. And I say my last one for the Jones girl. We call her Gorgeous Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm all through. Excuse me while I wash the ink off my fingers. Yeah, you're excused. Thank you, dear. Well, there sure are a pile of Valentines. I ought to get some interesting results. Mm. Say, Pop. Yeah, huh? What are you giving Mom for Valentine's Day tomorrow? Who? You know, Pop, Mom, Blondie. Oh, yes, yes, a blondie, my, uh, mom. Oh, my, I, I, I forgot to get her something. Well, gee, you better go out right now and get a bottle of perfume for mom, or a big box of candy, you know, your favorite kind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, you're not kidding. If I don't get her something, I'll be sunk. Oh, you can probably pick up a nice present at Swabber's Rug Store. Yeah, but I'll have to hurry. Pop. It, what, huh? Oh, yes. Hi, yeah, Good. Yeah, Would you mind if I took the car for a few minutes? Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of errands I forgot to do this afternoon, and I want to mail yeah. these valentines so the girls will get them the yeah. first thing in the morning. Yeah, okay, Blondie, but uh, I think I'll go with you, dear. Oh, you don't have to, Dagwood. Uh, you've had a hard day. Why don't you just stay home? Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm uh, okay. I have, uh, well, I have a couple of things I've got to do, too, dear. Oh, but it'll only take me a minute, and then you can have the car for as long as you want. Well, it'll only take me a minute, too, dear. Uh, i better go with you, I think. Well, I, um, all right, dear. Alexander, what are you smiling at? Oh, nothing at all, nothing at all. <laughs> well, let's go then, Dagwood, if you still want to. Oh, yeah, I still want to. Mm-hmm. Now, whatever you do, don't forget to mail my valentines. Well, well, Mr. and Mrs. Bumstead, what can I do for you? Well, Mr. Schwaber, I wanted to get, uh, um, oh, <laughs> well, now, let me see. Uh, you go ahead and get what you want first, Edward. No, no, Blondie. You, you go right ahead. I've got plenty well, of Well, oh, that's funny. It, it slipped my mind now. What was it I wanted? Well, uh, how about you, Mr. Bumstead? Would you like to uh, buy... No, no, I'll just wait for... Oh, you Bumstead. go ahead and get what you came for, Edward. <laughs> yeah, isn't that strange? I uh, can't remember either. Well, uh, maybe you'd like uh, a little sandwich, Mr. Bumstead. A little sandwich, yeah. You know, Mr. Swabber, I don't like those little anemic things you make. Um, why didn't your drugstore serve a nice, real he-man-sized sandwich? The kind of sandwich you want is a lunch counter between two loaves of bread. <laughs> All right, now, uh, you folks decided what you wanted yet? Uh-uh. I can't remember. Yeah, isn't that funny? Neither can I. Uh, maybe we'd better have a soda first, huh? Hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. Hmm. It's funny you people can't remember what you came for, but I'm always glad to sell sodas. <laughs> Dagwood. Dagwood, that's enough. You're at the bottom of that soda. Oh, yeah. So I am, yeah. What's the matter? Get a cherry caught in your straw? Yeah, mm, sure was good. Uh, Blondie, uh, your soda was kind of quiet, wasn't it? Well, I didn't try to inhale the bottom of the glass. Yeah. (laughs) Well, dear, you get what you were going to get from Mr. Schwaber, and and I'll be right with you. Uh, Dagwood. Mm. What did you come here to get? Oh, just a thing. <laughs> what about you? The same thing. It, uh... Dagwood, I'll bet you forgot to get me a Valentine's Day present, didn't now, you? Now, Blondie, you know I always have some sort of a little present for you. Oh, go on. You're going to buy it right now, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, well, where is my Valentine's Day present? You answer me first. Yeah. You forgot me too, didn't you, Blondie? Well, I... Uh... All right. Uh... Here you are, Mr. and Mrs. Bumstead. What? Hey, wait a minute. What, what, what are these packages, Mr. Swabber? Well, Mr. Bumstead, give this to Mrs. Bumstead tomorrow. Mm. And Mrs. Bumstead, this is for Mr. Bumstead. 
Uh, I'll just put these on the bill. Yeah. But how did you know what we wanted, Mr. Schwaber? Mrs. Bumstead, you'll learn a lot about life in a drugstore. <laughs> Well, good morning, Blondie. Good morning, Dagwood. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh. Uh, darling, mm-hmm. there's a little present for you I picked up. Well, happy Valentine's Day to you. Mm-hmm. And here's what I got you. Yeah. Oh, now, let's both look and see how good Mr. Schwaber's cake is. Yeah. Hey, incidentally, where's Alexander? Oh, he left long ago. He went to school early to see which way the Valentine wind was blowing, so to speak. Yeah. Why, Dagwood, mm-hmm. such a lovely bottle of perfume. Oh, you really shouldn't have done it. Oh, it was nothing, Blondie. It's not nearly good enough for you. Let's see it. Is there a price tag on it? <laughs> it's very lush and wonderful. What did I give you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Oh, boy, Blondie. Oh, thanks, darling. Oh, it's a big bottle of that new men's cologne. Oh, what's it called? It's called Hairy Chest. Oh, that's wonderful, Blondie Well, I thought you'd like it And you did remember to send me a sweet valentine in the mail, didn't you? And here's mine to you Oh, this is sweet of you, dear Here's something in return (laughs) (laughs) Why, Dagwood My goodness, that's Alexander Uh, What is he doing home now? Holy smoke, folks Well, what's the matter, Alexander? It's all those valentines we said The girls went crazy They mobbed me They were crowding around and kissing me Oh, even some of the good-looking ones Oh, I had to get away from them So I rushed right back here Oh, that's too bad Boy, as soon as I get my win I'll go back and try it again Ginger, goodbye. Well, for heaven's sake. Yeah, well, what was all that talking, Alexander? That was Sylvia and Ginger, and they're never going to speak to me again. Remember, folks, every Wednesday over these same NBC stations, another half hour of fun with all the bumsteads brought to you by Super Suds. The new Super Suds with Pyray, the soap that makes all your clothes look newer. Tell all your friends to tune in next Wednesday at the same time for Blondie, starring Penny Singleton and Arthur Lake with Hanley Stafford. The script is by John L. Green from characters created by Chick Young. This is Howard Petrie saying good night from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's Blondie from February 9th, 1949, starring Arthur Lake and Penny Singleton. Also in the cast, Jeffrey Silver, Elvia Allman, and Hanley Stafford. That was sponsored by Super Suds and Luster Cream Shampoo. There's the shampoo that you use, Luster Cream Shampoo. That actually is, I use that as a once-a-week conditioner. Right. It really well, greases it's working. things up a it's little bit. making your hair nice and greasy. <laughs> Thanks. As heard on NBC, hope you enjoyed Blondie. We'll take a break. When we come back, it's Crime Does Not Pay. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. Across about 200 radio stations coast to coast. Make sure you check out our website. It is Hollywood360radio.com. There's thousands of pictures of Lisa there. And what else is at the website? Um, more than thousands of pictures of Carl, but we also have our podcast there. Yes, Which very is important. one week behind the actual airing of this show, which is the full four hours. So if you miss anything, be sure to check out our podcast. We also have our schedule posted there. So you don't have to email me and ask what it is. You can go right to the website, Hollywood360radio.com. All right, very good. And the podcast, as Lisa said, is up one week behind because we want to give our radio stations first crack at the biggest, best, and brightest uh, episode of Hollywood 360. Right, Lisa? If if you say so. All right. Time now for Crime Does Not Pay. This was a crime drama based on a series of films released by MGM beginning in 1935. MGM had its toe into radio syndication with the adventures of Maisie, the story of Dr. Kildare, the Hardy family, and other series, including Crime Does Not Pay. Came to radio in 1949, lasted until 1952. These were moralistic crime stories featuring B-movie actors in the lead roles. And it had New York's best supporting players rounding out the casts, including Everett Sloan, John Gibson, Donald Woods, and Martin Gable. And Martin Gable stars in this particular episode called The Glossy Finish Let's go back to December 26, 1949, for part one of Crime Does Not Pay. Crime does not pay. Never mind a crybaby act, Fuller. You're old enough to know what you've been doing. You've got to give me time, that's all. Just some time. Sign this IOU, didn't you, for ten grand? Look, Toppy, if you'll only have patience, if you'll only wait a little, I'm coming into, into money in my uncle's will. How long am I supposed to wait for that? Only, only until my uncle dies. In the interest of good citizenship and law enforcement, we present Crime Does Not Pay, based on the famous Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer series of short subjects. Now, Crime Does Not Pay, starring Martin Gable as John Fuller in Glossy Finish. The crime of murder, the last act of desperate violence on the part of an individual, has never been confined to one group of people. No social or economic group, no race or people or nation is free from the crime of murder. For instance, the well-ordered household of multimillionaire David Fuller was hardly the place where one would expect murder. It was a smooth-running, apparently happy household. There was David himself, his nephew John, his faithful secretary, Charles Dubo, his housekeeper, Martha Frank. This was the permanent unit, modest, efficient, quiet. Then one day, David Fuller called his household together and started the train of events which brought about his own death. Ah, John, come in. We've been waiting for you. I'm sorry, Uncle David. I had your message at the office, but there was the usual traffic jam. Uh, hello, Martha. Hello, Mr. Charlie. Charlie. Uh, no matter. Sit down, John. Sit down. Thank you. Anything wrong? <laughs> well, no, hardly. Just getting my affairs in order, that's all. Oh, in other words, Uncle David, you've made a will. Exactly. Now, Charles here seems to think that what's in that document is nobody's business but my own. However, it's quite simple. The sudden acquisition of comparative wealth may be a shock which can have disastrous results on some very fine people. I want you all prepared to handle money. Me, Mr. David? 
me with money. The income from a quarter of a million will be yours, Martha, as long as you outlast me. Oh, sir. That's one provision of the boresome legal document whose legal language I refuse to confuse you with. <laughs> now, I've made certain provisions for my favorite charities, and then, well, you two young fellows have been the nearest to sons I've ever had. So the residual estate, about a million, will be divided equally between you. What? After taxes and all, you'll have about a half a million apiece. Uncle David. Oh, really, sir? Don't you think... Well, after all, I'm no blood relation. Uh, you've been closer to me these ten years than anyone but John, and it's my money. I earned it. May I say something, Uncle David? Of course, John. Just that I don't want Martha or Charlie to think that, um, that I feel they're getting something I ought to have. You've given me a home since Dad died, and anything I've ever wanted. All I can say, sir, is that I hope and uh, I trust that it'll be a long time before any of us see that bequest. Uh-huh. Here she comes, Johnny. Not bad. Not bad at all. Who is she, a professional model? <laughs> I'll have to tell her that. <laughs> She'll love it. No, she's a girl I met a couple of months ago, Dorothy Mason. Months? And you've been holding out on me that long? I know your fatal attraction, pal. Thanks, pal. What kind of prints are you making, Maddie or Glossy? Oh, the contacts, I'm making Glossy. Uh, you can take the blow-ups out of there now and put them in the fixer. Right. The ferry plate ready? Uh, it's still on the shelf. Get it, will you? Sure. Hey, what's that doing there? Ammonia compound. No dark room complete without it. What for? Ever read the label on the ferrocyanide bottle? <laughs> no. All I noticed was these skull and crossbones. That's when I decided the glossy finish was for other folks. Me, I'll stick to the matte finishes. I don't like poison. Well, just in case. Ammonia is the antidote for poisoning by potassium ferrocyanide. Formula K3FECN6. Charles Dubo, the complete secretary, even to chemistry. Oh, why not? Majored in it in college. <laughs> Took up shorthand when I had to earn a living. That's funny. I took it, too. Chemistry, I mean. But just freshman stuff. Never fooled around with the cyanides. That's the first portion of Crime Does Not Pay. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Crime Does Not Pay. Will you excuse me, Uncle David? Well, you haven't had your coffee, John. I know, but I've got a date for 8.30. I can just make it now. <laughs> she must be important, eh, Charles, if John's so anxious to be on time for her? She must be. Anyone I know, Johnny? No, nobody that either of you knows. Uh, will you pardon me, please? Yes, of course, John. Run along. Thank you, sir. Do you expect to be late? No, not very. Excuse me, Mr. David, Mr. John. Will you have coffee in here or in the library? Library, Martha, please. Mr. Charles and I have a few papers to go over. Very well, sir. And Mr. John? Martha, I'm going out. I may be a little late. Now, before you go to bed, will you leave the chain off the front door for me? My rheumatism's been bothering me, Mr. John. I'll be going up as soon as the kitchen is in order. Perhaps Mr. Charles... Oh, uh, I'm going home tonight, John, so the chain will be off after I let myself out. Oh, well, my young men are going to make a night of it, it seems. If going straight home to bed is making a night of it, sir. And my appointment's in the nature of business, Uncle David. <laughs> Listen to the Martha. And let's get along with what we have to do, Charles. Maybe I can get you on your way earlier than you expect. 
come in. Good evening, Mr. Carter. Well, my friends and the people who owe me money call me Toppy. <laughs> Maybe because they know I always come out on top. You got the dough? No. No, I haven't. All right, then. What are you doing? Making a phone call, obviously. To Mr. David Fuller. You can't do that, Toppy. Oh, can I'll I? I'll get the money. Somehow, somewhere, but you can't call my uncle. He'll disinherit me. He, he thinks gambling is a sucker's racket. Isn't it? For the suckers of gambling? Now, please, have a little more patience, Toppy. I came on the minute tonight so that you'd know that I mean to pay. Never mind the crybaby act, Fuller. You're old enough to know what you've been doing. You signed this IOU, didn't you? For ten grand? Look, Toppy, if you'll only have a little patience, if you'll only wait a little... I'm coming into money in my uncle's will. How long am I supposed to wait for that? Only, only until my uncle dies. Good night, Mr. Fuller. Yeah, good night, Charles. Oh, Charles, my watch seems to have stopped. What time have you? Um, uh, 12.15, sir. Well, thank you. Good night. Good night. Dorothy. Dorothy, darling. I figured your boss and benefactor couldn't keep you all night, so I waited. I'm sorry, darling. I couldn't help it. For a man who claims he's retired from business, he does more work. And at the oddest hours. This is the fourth night in three weeks that we've had a date. He's made you work. Are you sure he doesn't know about us? No one knows, dear, except Johnny. So you finally told him. Well, he walked into the dark room the other day while I was making prints of those pictures I took on oh, him. I see. By the way, I've got the glossies with me, having the enlargements framed. Do you want to see these? I want to see you. I'm in love with you. Heaven help me. And I want to be with you. And I want to be with you for the rest of our lives. And it looks from here as if the rest of our lives is going to be a mighty short period. Well, I can't leave him now. I know. I've heard it before. The will again. A half million after taxes. Isn't that worth waiting for? I'd like to spend a little of it while we're young enough to enjoy it. I know, darling, I know. Maybe you never know with anyone as old as he is. Maybe it'll be all over sooner than you think. Mr. Fuller. Mr. Fuller, it's nine o'clock. Mr. Fuller. Are you up, Mr. Fuller? Funny. He's always up by this time. Smells almost like almond paste in here. Mr. Fuller. Oh, no. Mr. Fuller. Oh, no. Oh, no. Martha. What oh, no. Martha? Martha, stop that. Martha. <laughs> Uncle David. He's dead. He's dead in his bed. My poor Mr. David. Martha, stop it. Did you close the windows? Windows? No, I never touched anything. And Martha, that long-necked laboratory bottle on the night table. Have you ever seen that bottle before? There were grief and uproar in the Fuller house after Martha, the housekeeper, discovered the body of David Fuller. The presence of the long-necked glass laboratory bottle or flask on the night table, the tightly closed windows... 
the faint but definite smell of almonds in the air, all pointed to very mysterious happenings in David's room. John immediately called the police. Before a half hour had passed, the room and the house were overrun with uniformed policemen, technical experts, detectives, and the staff of the medical examiner. Well, Doc, what does it look like? It looks like what it is. Cyanide poisoning. Suicide? Murder. I haven't seen any food around. Didn't get it in food. You're looking at the murder weapon. That glass bottle? I don't get it. You smell the bitter almonds odor? Until Johnson opened the window, yes. Hydrocyanic acid. Hydrogen cyanide gas. Same thing they use in the gas chambers out west? That's right. Well, how could anybody get a hold of that? Well, that's your job, Lieutenant. You're the man in charge of homicide around here. Hey, Lieutenant, can I bother you a minute? What's on your mind, Johnson? Something funny on the windowsill. What? Flies. Ten flies. Counted them. Alive or dead? Well, dead, of course. Enough gas to kill a man would kill all the insects, too. Yeah, they're dead. Okay, so the flies are dead. So what? Doc, uh, how long ago did the old man die? Oh, rough estimate, at least uh, four hours. No more than ten. Mm. They found the body just before nine o'clock. Johnson, get me that housekeeper. Yes, sir. Mrs. Frank, in here, please. Yes, sir. Mrs. Frank, perhaps you can help us. I'll try, sir. Is there any poison kept around the house? No, sir. Only the usual roach paste and things like that. Doc? Uh, Arsenic base. No, no good. Is there any other kind of chemical around here that you know about? Well, do they... Do they use chemicals in photography, sir? Do they use chemicals? Easy, Johnson. Oh, yes, sir. Miss Frank, you show us the dark room, please, the place where the work in photography is done. Quite a layout, Lieutenant. Look at that enlarger. Yeah, plenty of money spent on this. What plenty, Lieutenant? The young men had this as a hobby, I guess, sir. The nephew and the secretary? Yes, sir. Say, look here, Lieutenant. What's that? Looks like a hunk of tin to me. It's a fairy plate, sir. What's it used for? Well, you know those shiny prints you get when you have pictures developed? Go on. They make them shiny by rolling them out and drying them on this after they've uh, been in a solution of iron salts. Uh, iron ferrous. Fairy plate. How do you know so much about all this? I used to play around with photography myself when I was a kid. You said iron salts, Johnson? Yes, Doc. There ought to be a bottle of it around somewhere. Yeah, nothing here. What do you buy for this work? Well, there's lots of trade names. Uh, the stuff is potassium ferrous cyanide, though. Ah, that does it. K3FECN6. Explain yourself, Doc. Simple enough. Although whoever did it would have to know something about chemistry. What do you know about chemistry around here, Miss Frank? Well... Oh, sir, I... Say it. Which one of the young men? Both, sir. They both took chemistry in college. Better and better. Go on, Doc. How was it done? Well, all he had to do was to have some hydrochloric acid in that flask upstairs, you see. He sneaks into the room while the old man's sleeping, puts the flask on the table, drops in some of this fairy cyanide. The hydrogen from the acid combines with the cyanide. Boom. That's all. Death from hydrogen... Cyanide poisoning. You sure of this, Doc? Sure as I can be before we analyze what's in that flask. But I'll bet roughly 50 to 1 on it. Well, we know how, but why. He was pretty rich. It was in his will. You know anything about that will, Mrs. Frank? I'm in it, sir. A trust fund. And the boys? 
Well, Mrs. Frank? They both... Uh, he told us once. They both get a lot of money, sir. Well, well, well. All right, Doc. Get going on your analysis. Johnson, get those two young gentlemen ready for me. I'll take them on one at a time. Yeah, Lieutenant. What's bothering you? Two ready-made suspects and you're worried? It's those flies, Lieutenant. They've got to fit in somewhere. I'll be doggone if I can figure where. You were, uh, are Mr. Fuller's nephew? Yes, Lieutenant. I called you when the housekeeper found him. Yes, I know. Uh, Mr. Fuller, I understand you have some knowledge of chemistry and photography. Well, uh, photography quite a little. As for chemistry, I had about a year of it in college. How long ago was that? <laughs> Longer than I care to think. <laughs> Most of us feel that way after a while. <laughs> uh, Mr. Fuller, what time did you come home last night? Uh, about 1 or 1.30 this morning. Was that late for you? Mm, some. I asked Martha to leave the chain off the door. Uh, Uncle David always insisted on chains and bolts at night. Uh, uh, that's... Uh... It's an odd object you're tossing in your hand. Hmm? Oh, oh! this is a chip from a gambling den. One of my friends had it. Never saw one quite like it before. Uh, may I see it? Yes, certainly. Yeah, Unagrammed. Uh, Mr. Fuller, did you put the chain on the door when you came home last night? To be frank, I don't think I did. I see. Then, uh, in that case, anyone with a key to the front door might have had access to this house even after you came home. Surely, Lieutenant, you don't think that Charles Dubo had anything to do with... Your uncle's death? I'm not thinking anything at the moment, Mr. Fuller. I'm merely gathering the facts and sorting the truth from the window dressing. So your story, Mr. Dubo, is that you called goodnight to Mr. Fuller. He answered you when you left this house about a quarter past twelve and did not come back. Exactly, Lieutenant. Do you have any corroborating evidence? You mean an alibi? Yes. I'm afraid you'll have to find an alibi, Mr. Dubo. You had motive, opportunity, an excellent knowledge of chemistry by your own admission. All right, Lieutenant. My alibi is Dorothy Mason. She lives at 419 Sutter Street. Dorothy will tell you the truth. Yes, I waited for him, Lieutenant. I was angry. Another broken date. I wanted to have it out with him. And when did you separate? It was late. How late? I, uh, I'm sorry, Miss Mason. I must have the answer. It was after sunrise. I see. I doubt if it will be necessary for this to go any farther than me, Miss Mason. Thank you, Lieutenant. Uh, one more question, Miss Mason. Has Mr. Dubo ever made any statement to you about his employer, about the will, about any possible desire to see Mr. Fuller dead? Yes. Last night, when I was quarreling with him, he did say Mr. Fuller might... Die soon. All right, Poppy, this is one of your unique chips, isn't it? So what? I found it in the hand of John Fuller. That jerk owes me plenty. I gave the sucker a break. He asked me to wait until his uncle died. Okay, I figured. Good enough. Ten grand in live money is worth more than taking care of a fathead like Johnny Fuller. Oh, what a 
we got. Poison available. Both of them knew about it. Dubot, maybe more than Fuller. Nobody heard the old man say goodnight to the secretary except Dubot himself. He could have gone back if the girl is covering for him. I know, Lieutenant. But you said yourself you think she's telling the truth. Watch her driving. Sure, she's telling the truth. But the old boy could have been dead when Dubo left the house. Well, my candidate's the nephew. Why? Any more than the secretary. Well, he knew the same stuff as Dubo. And he was in the house all night. At least the housekeeper says so. You heard her yourself. Up all night with the rheumatism. She heard every sound in the house. She said the nephew never left his room. Yeah, sure. Maybe he wore woolen socks. No noise. Only one thing we left out, Johnson, the time. It had to be done between 11 at night and 5 in the morning. Well, that's how we've been figuring. But there's something else we left out. What, for instance? The flies. Ten dead flies on the windowsill. You and those flies, Johnson, for the love of... Hey, wait a minute. You think you got something? I think I've got the killer. Turn back, Johnson. Use a siren. We're heading for the residence of the late David Fuller. Come in. Your assistant told me you were in here, Lieutenant. Glad to see you. And vice versa, Mr. Fuller. Shut the door, Johnson. And uh, bring that book over here. All right, Lieutenant. May I know what's going on? Of course. That's why we asked you here. Mr. Fuller, are you familiar with this book? The World Almanac? Yes, I know it. I haven't used one in years. Perhaps you should have. Uh, no matter. Hmm? A detective Johnson here was plagued with an idea. The uh, Almanac helped him out. You're talking in riddles, Lieutenant. You explain it to him, Johnson. Be glad to. It was the flies, Mr. Fuller. Those dead flies in the windowsill of your uncle's room. <laughs> Those again, we had quite a few chuckles over your flies, Detective. Yes. Well, Mr. Fuller, it's funny about flies. They sleep at night. Yes, so they do. On walls and ceilings, don't they? Glad you noticed that. But these flies were on the windowsill. Something drew them to the windowsill. And that's where the almanac came in. Uh, you see here on this page, Mr. Fuller, a table of sunrise and sunset for the month of June. And the date of your uncle's murder was June 19th, and the sun rose at 4.22 a.m. that day, which means it was light as early as 4. Light enough, Mr. Fuller, for the flies to be awakened and to be drawn toward the window and be caught there by the poison gas which kills your uncle. What's all this to do with me? You were in this house at that time. The housekeeper dozed off. But the train, anybody could have come in. Meaning Charles Dubo? Well, certainly, or anybody. Martha herself, she's in the will, too. They won't do, Fuller. We know where Dubo was past sunrise. Miss Frank doesn't know one chemical from another. And you were in trouble with Toppy Carter to the tune of $10,000. You can't make it stick. You'll never make it stick. We think we will, Fuller. We think we'll find that bottle of ferrous cyanide somewhere in your room. You think I'd be dumb enough to leave it around... All right. You win. <laughs> but I came close, didn't I? As close as anyone could and not get away with it. By coming close to winning the toppies and then dropping every dollar. Uncle David would rather enjoy this, I imagine. Having his death avenged by a few dead flies. <laughs> Crime does not pay. Crime does not pay is written by Ira Marion and directed by Marx D. Lowe, with music composed and conducted by John Gart. Technical advisor is Burton B. Turkus. 
The events, characters, and names used in the story you've just heard are fictitious. Any similarity is purely coincidental. And that's Crime Does Not Pay from December 26, 1949, with a glossy finish starring Martin Gable. And that was heard on MGM syndicated series. So hope you enjoyed Crime Does Not Pay. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's more of Hollywood 360. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in LA and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. 40 Years in the Making. Magic Music Movie. It's a documentary by director Lee Armsalm. The Magic Music Band, based in Boulder, Colorado in the 70s, entertained local residents and university students with their original songs. Their folk music sound presents a very talented group, who sadly never signed a record deal. The film retraces the five band members and culminates with the band's reunion concert in Boulder, 40 years after the band's breakup in 1975. Let's take a listen. Boulder had the reputation of being this great big hippie paradise. The music scene was bubbling. In case you just joined us, we're Magic Music. It was a time in Boulder, and this was the band in Boulder. Magic music was a phenomenon. The stunning cinematography, alongside a relaxing soundtrack, set the perfect mood. Here's another clip. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Boulder, the original magic music. The bottom line, I'm in. Three stars out of four. This is a feel-good story with many themes. Front and center, of course, is their music. However, forgiveness, lasting friendships, and tender reminiscing are scattered throughout. Boasting the beautiful Rocky Mountains as a backdrop, Magic Music Band's legacy is now preserved for all. You can't help but be touched by this film. It's highly relatable to all. Check out all of my reviews and interviews on sarahsbackstagepass.com. See you next week. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time, Bing Crosby stars on the Philco Radio Time with his special guests, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. And we all know how much Lisa likes ventriloquists and uh, the ventriloquist dummy. So that she's going to love that, right, Mike? I sure do. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not the only one around here who That's loves true. that. We've got a lot of listeners who are in my camp. That's right. And then after that, it's the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. We'll also say hi to Lisa's parents because they're in the studio. So that's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.